Welcome to the midweek Mission Ridge podcast known as Footnotes. Footnotes is here to give you some of the stuff that we didn't have time to cover in the sermon and encourage you to dig in deeper as you study the text. So let's dive in and check out what's in the footnotes. Alrighty, welcome to another episode of Footnotes. Glad to have you with us. Today on the podcast, we got Jacob Croyle. Hello. We got Rob Croyle. Hello. And we got first-time guest, Tori Hazelman. Hello. She is here. Uh, Tori joined us a couple weeks back, jumped right on into Mission Ridge. Yep. She decided that our kind of crazy was her kind of crazy. That's crazy. Uh, Indeed. That's good stuff, but... uh, she had some interesting things. Rob was talking with her and was like, hey, we ought to get you on the Footnotes podcast with us to ramble about this story a wee little bit. Uh, so thus, we lassoed her into joining us today. So glad to have you here. Thank you. It's going to be a fun time. Uh, first thing, first thing first, uh, Rob, we should talk shortcoming. The only th- shortcoming that we uh, mentioned was that your 30-minute sermon uh, decided to grow and become a big boy sermon of 40 45 ish minutes so yeah. well done there yeah you know um you I, I was concerned i was concerned that i wasn't gonna go 30 minutes really i was concerned and um and i think i added i decided to do the section and read the whole section in numbers 19 so that right. added some time because i was going to just kind of just highlight that. I'm like, no, I think it's better for people to actually hear it word for word. You sure. know, so there's always this kind of balance between, you know, t- trying to conserve time, but trying to present God's word in a way that I think is palatable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's that piece. But then we uh, we had some folks that were there Sunday that weren't there the week before, so I felt like I couldn't just summarize some things. Mm. I kind of had to give a little extra, give a little extra there, and then I don't know what else happened because that. So those two things count for like five minutes. So I'm not sure what else <laughs> happened. I'm well, have to... I mean that you're you're so smart money. If you're taking a, if you're gonna, I'm gonna give you a little insider tip here. If you're placing a bet on how long Rob is gonna preach, smart money says forty minutes. That's his favorite number. Um, if you go back, like the majority of his sermons have landed on the forty-minute mark, like yes, on the dot. That's true. Uh, it's a little uncanny. It's a little crazy. But smart money says there. So if you're adding five minutes to that, you'd land at forty-five. <laughs> so that's how we got there. Um, where where do yours land? Mine are a little bit all over the place. Mm. I've had one under thirty. One, this is just off the top of my head, a couple that were around the 35 mark. I don't think I've popped 40 yet. Hmm. Yet. Yeah, close a couple of times, but I don't think yeah. yet. I think, I think the last one was 37. Yeah. Was, uh, was your uh, one on singleness the longest? No, maybe. I you were pretty dang passionate that day. So I, I, was, <laughs> I had like, I had like a week, at, like there was like, a week of Sundays worth of sermons for the content that I had for that one. So I, I felt pretty good that it, we didn't all just, you know, fall asleep and fall out of windows on that one. So anyway, good stuff. Uh, so that, you know, shortcoming, that's not all that short, but you know, it was, it was, it was a good sermon. A lot of, a lot of sermony goodness. You can't get mad about that. I can't, whatever. Uh, 
So with that said, let's uh, dive right on into talking about Boaz and Ruth and that story a wee little bit, because this is what we used to frame uh, our core value of sacrificial generosity. Like, what's a what's a story that shows what sacrificial generosity really looks like? And well, the one, first one that came to mind was Ruth and Boaz. Yeah, so mm-hmm. much we could have pulled from that story. Like, we just used this, the first couple of chapters. Yeah, just the just the overview there, the the snippet. Yeah, and sure. you could you could even take the last two chapters and and talk about generosity and and uh, you know you I think you were the one that brought up the kinsman redeemer piece. You want to speak to that? Uh, yeah, I can. I don't remember if it was me or not because uh, we're recording this in the afternoon, so my brain's gonzo, uh, as we know. But uh, <laughs> kinsman redeemer, yeah. So Boaz, he because in this story, it's not like. The, the concept that we wanted to get across with the core value of sacrificial generosity is it's not just generosity. It's not just being a generous person. It's not just like you said at the beginning of the sermon, like this is not a sermon about tithing. This is not just about like, yep, nope, you set aside 10% of your, your income and give it to the church or you're giving some money to charity. Like, And it, it's not just even being a generous person in that you're constantly giving with stuff. Sacrificial generosity goes a step further. And what we see with Boaz in this story is Boaz takes it that extra mile. Right. He really goes goes the distance and then some because it's not he doesn't just provide and leave his corners uncut. Uh, he doesn't just throw out some extra stuff and really take care of Ruth and Naomi. Uh, but he he goes and becomes the kinsman redeemer. Now what this means is that if you're left uh, if you're if you're a, a, a woman in that time and you're left widowed or divorced or or anything like that, like for some reason just widowed. Just widowed? Just widowed. I thought it was if you were I thought it could have been if you were out on your own in any way, shape. No, because the, the concept is, as a kinsman redeemer, is you are continuing the line for the relative. Okay. okay, so then that's not... Yeah, that wouldn't be divorce then. So Adam... Yeah. Adam dies. Eve is left without a husband. Adam has no uh, offspring because mm-hmm. he dies beforehand. And so, so then... Eve has to marry one of Adam's brothers, and and I you know I picked the wrong. Yeah, you did because Adam didn't really have any <laughs> yeah. brothers, so that was a Judah, terrible analogy. Yeah, Judah this, and Tamar yeah, is yeah, the Judah best and Tamar is the <laughs> classic story. Yeah, so that one gets dysfunctional. So he quick. comes in to be, he comes in to carry on the line, which he wasn't, and as we know later in the story, he's not even the first in line to be this. Uh, there's another person who's ahead of him in the quote-unquote hierarchy that should be the kinsman redeemer, but wants nothing to do with Ruth. Uh, Ruth, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, so wants nothing to do with Ruth, but Boaz gives him the option, and then when he doesn't, then Boaz jumps in and is like, "Yeah, I'm gonna take this. I'm gonna I'm gonna take you into my bed off. I'm going to." Not just and not just bring you in and like care for you, but bring you in and make you, like, make you part of the fam. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's it's this. He's going 
further than is necessary. Like, he doesn't have to do this, but he chooses to. And this is part of what we wanted to get across with sacrificial generosity. Uh, Tying in with that is in the story where I mentioned cutting his corners versus throwing stuff out. So the concept of cutting your corners, you talked about this in the sermon some, um, and this comes out of Leviticus, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But you would leave part of your corners uh, of your fields, you'd leave them uncut. You'd leave them for whoever to come in and glean, to come. And those that didn't have enough, those that didn't have fields, those that needed the poor, the needy, the alien, the orphan, the widow, etc., they could come in and they could be provided for through the corners of your fields. Now, obviously, Boaz has corners of his fields left uncut because that's why Ruth shows up there, right? Uh, so she shows up and is is gleaning, but uh, <clears throat> not only that, but later in the story, Boaz instructs his field hands as they're cutting, as they're harvesting, to drop stuff that they're harvesting. Right. So they're doing the hard work of cutting everything, and they're and they're not even keeping everything that they're making here. They're dropping it for her intentionally, not just her coming along and picking up what they accidentally dropped. They, they're actually intentionally dropping extra to make it easy for her. Um, this is once again another example of going further, sacrificing, because it's cutting out on their bottom line to do this. And again, this isn't sub- <clears throat> this is subsistence, you know, farming. This is this yeah. is like my grandparents when they would when they would garden and they garden so that they could can so that they could eat yeah. through the winter. Mm-hmm. Yep. And this, you know, this isn't, you know, this is literally sacrificing. This is a farmer Joe with thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of acres. Yeah, this is sacrificing the bread off your table for somebody else. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is very much in line with what we want to communicate as our core value of sacrificial generosity and being a people that will sacrifice in order to be generous. So, Jacob, you had uh, kind of in lines with this, there's a tie-in with an, old, an older Old Testament story. I did, uh, and probably has somewhat more to do with sacrificial generosity, uh, and kind of ties back to um, the three st- strangers that Abraham meets, um, and he told tells, I'm going to pull it up really quick. Uh, this is back in Genesis, like, what, 14? Uh, 18, Genesis 18, 18 uh, That's close. 6, uh, and Abraham went quickly to, into the tents of Sarah and said, quick. Three sayas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. Uh, so, um, three sayas uh, is a lot. Uh, I think you you did the. Yeah, you know we preached on this. Uh, we'll we'd have to go. It was it, it tied in. It might have been last year's sacrificial generosity story. I don't know. We preached on this at some point yeah. in the last year, and we, we were talking yeah. about it. And I spent too much time on a whiteboard. Because that's what I do, figuring out how many loaves of bread that much flour would make. And there's, there's there was some debate over the uh, what a sia. It's uh, spelled S E A H H. Uh, so how much that? Is. Yeah. 
how much that uh, actually constitutes. Rough rough estimates put it around I think sixty to sixty to eighty pounds of flour basically, uh, or no, it made sixty to eighty loaves of bread. I think is what I figured out, but. Yeah. You'd ha- you'd have to go double check my math. Like I'm, I <laughs> vaguely remember this, but it was a lot. Yeah. Basically, this is more bread than, like, more bread than you'd even know what to do with. Like, yeah. this is a ridiculously stupid amount of bread. Why were they even? What were they putting it on to carry all of this? Like, you're, you're making me hungry. Right this now. is way <laughs> above and beyond. <laughs> Want some, um, some good bread right now? No, and so so like, uh, at some point when the the rabbis were reading this, they're like. How did how did she make that much bread in time? That's oh, sure. a ton like, of it's bread. It's not going to be quick. Um, <laughs> That's a lot of raising there. Uh, and so there's arguments about whether she used her her the servants or anything, but uh, they claim that it was just Sarah and that it was actually a miracle, uh, a special type of miracle that's associated with sacrificial generosity, where it's where God blesses you giving like or doing something ridiculous. Amounts like that, and uh, but it's interesting too because that it, uh, it kind of relates back to um, the roof story. Because um, after her first her first day um, gleaning in Boaz's field, uh, she comes back with an E P H A H of barley, um, which some of the measurements for that gets interesting too because we don't know exactly what that. Is so the sia or S E apostrophe A H uh-huh. is a unit of dry measure in ancient origin used in uh, Jewish law, which equals one third of an epa or a bath. So it's about one one third is what this source is saying. Yeah, and so I've heard that there are estimates that put the amount that she brought back as either a third or a half mm-hmm. of what they gave. Uh, what Abraham and Sarah gave to the three strangers. What did she? What did Ruth bring back? Uh, one. She brought one, back one. Epa, one effa. Yeah. Or effa. Yeah. And then um, Sarah per, Sarah made how many fine sias of fine flour? Was it six? Uh, let me jump back. Oh man, we're making we're making them do Bible Bible app gymnastics. <laughs> three sias. Three sias. So it's that would have been. It's the same amount, guys. But is she? Yeah, it is the same amount. The the only I'm trying the, to play devil's advocate the here. The author is connecting the stories. It doesn't matter that. I'm just saying. Yeah, the no. The, the measurement, the, the measurement's the same there. Like the measurement is the same, and the uh, and author. This is just this is a meme. This is <laughs> it's it's a biblical oh, meme. You know, it's, well, there we have it. I mean, that's you, you're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong. I mean, the author's. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Boaz is generous like Abraham and Sarah. Sure. Yes. And hospitable. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's how you're supposed to read manner. it. You're supposed yeah. to go, wait, when was the last time I heard someone getting ridiculous amounts of uh, bread, essentially? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because was she bringing back the, the fine flour, or was she bringing back just the... I don't think it was fine point, yet. Yeah, yeah. This was just uh, that, that, it was that, threshed. Like so, I, I'm just being ticky tacky here. Like <laughs> it's not exactly yeah. the same, Rob. It's not. Totally agree. Totally agree. You gotta. You gotta. You gotta prepare. 
But you, you got prepared to make it flower. Boaz and... isn't as hospitable as Abraham. Let's Come see. on, it wasn't fine flower. It, but it, but it's also it's not just someone received sacrificial generosity, but the the generosity was towards the Lord Himself. Sure. In the first story, and in the second story, and connecting it to to my thought that. Wait a minute. The way you love your God is by the way you love people, and you know with Leviticus nineteen and twenty three connected. Mm. You know, because yeah, I've you, heard that argument. You are loving God when you love people through your generosity. That does tie it up in a nice little, nice little biblical bow. I have it's heard, like the ever ready bunny, uh, just like boom, boom, boom. You know, like yep. what? So, I've heard someone <laughs> say. It's just. It's you the same beat. It's the same drum beat. The beat you should the same look at drum. Okay. Ruth more like yeah, love story towards God, not necessarily love sure. story between Ruth and Boaz. Um, but that's all it is. <laughs> that's all it is. It's only a love story. So you remember Boaz? We can only surprise. preach on it during relationship. <laughs> oh, no. Do you remember you know Boaz's surprise when he's like, "Why did you pick me? Like you could have had yeah. any in these young men." Well. In in chapter two of Ruth, when he's saying to her, and when you get thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. We know that in the biblical narratives, when when a young man draws water for a young woman, bow 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 bow. Matchmaker Boaz confirmed. Yeah, one Sunday back in Pullman. After uh, a, a talk on water at the well, Logan was was thinking about. He didn't actually say, do it, but he was thinking about announcing for any of the single ladies to meet him at the water fountain. <laughs> I have no recollection of this. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Jacob just made that up. Just made that up. But <laughs> I, you know, I also could just be forgetting it, and that's something that I totally would have said. So L- luckily, you didn't actually say it. I think that would have worked beautifully. It would have worked wonderfully. I mean, modern day well. It would have solved so many conversations between you and your grandfather over the last few years. (laughs) Well, maybe. Maybe. (laughs) Might have. Who knows? There's a a remez. My goodness. All right. (laughs) Anyway. On to the next one. On to Ruth and Boaz not being a story about romantic relationships, for crying out loud. Nope. It's not. Something about that. Wait for oh. your Boaz. Yeah. None of his cousins. Never mind. We're not using that joke again. <laughs> uh, so, speaking of Leviticus. Speaking of Leviticus, it's not Leviticus. It's not Leviticus? Well, it is. That's the most awkward thing you've had me write up on the board. I'm like, what sort of heresy is Rob about to talk about? <laughs> yeah. Leviticus is not Leviticus. It's so, <laughs> the Hebrew word for Leviticus has nothing to do about the Levites. Which, when you hear the name Leviticus, you're like, oh, well, that should tie in with the Levites. Yeah. Which is the tribe of priests. So, okay, yeah, the Hebrew word is uh, Vaikra, which means... Uh, give, me, and, give, give me that one more time. Vaikra. 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 Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing it, you know... I'm sure we'll we'll hear from I, somebody I didn't hear any not. phlegm in there. Yeah, the, so the phlegm not. is... Vaikra. Vaikra. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a very poor pronunciation. <laughs> uh, you know, none of the first five books of the Bible 
have the names. The Hebrew names don't match the well, Greek. We, what the Greeks are calling them? The Greek names, the names that we have adopted, names that we've become comfortable with in our English translations. Uh, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, is Bereshis, which is in the beginning. So it means the name Bereshit is in the beginning? In the beginning. Okay. Shemot, which which literally means Shemot. names. Shemot. Names. Okay. That, w- that would be Exodus. Exodus. Okay. Leviticus is Vayikra, which is... Vayikra. And he called out. And he called out. Uh, numbers is Bob Midbar. Say that one one more time. That's fun. Bob Midbar. Bob Midbar. Midbar is desert, wilderness. Mm. Okay. So while Greek thinkers get focused on all the numbers presented throughout <laughs> the book of Numbers... All right. The Hebrew thinker thinks in terms of we were in the wilderness. What was it like to be in the wilderness? <clears throat> okay. Which All is right. a completely different conversation. Following along. And then uh, Deuteronomy, which means re- the words that were repeated, repeated words, is actually Devarim. It's actually the closest. Okay. Um, and Devarim means words. Okay. So if you. String these together. So you're taking the names of the books and putting them strung together in a sentence. In a sentence. In the beginning, these are the names of the called out ones that went into the wilderness, and these are the words that he spoke to them. Hmm. It's like they all tell a story. It tells a story. Bum, bum, bum. So, so going a little bit further, Vaikra means... Uh, and he called out or or called out ones. Okay. There's a Greek word in the New Testament that means called out ones. Okay. What's that Greek word? I don't know. I did not prepare for this pop quiz. Did you prepare for this pop quiz, Bahor of mine? <laughs> Bahor of mine? <laughs> oh, man. I feel like I shouldn't know this, but I don't. I feel it's... like I should remember this. I'm pretty sure you told me it last <laughs> week, and I just forgot it. It's ecclesia. Oh, that's right. Now I feel like an idiot. Which is the church. Duh. <laughs> Which is us. We are <laughs> we are the called out ones. And I think this is where and Jesus actually uses for the first time, I think like in Matthew eighteen, something something along line along those lines. Um He uses ecclesia. Yes. Hmm. And so, like, pretty early, in relative terms, pretty early in his ministry. Hmm. And he's saying that you are being called out. Well, and that makes, that makes sense, because it, the, the book of Leviticus is teaching... It, it, yeah, it does have all the priest stuff in it, but it also is calling out the entire nation... And setting them up because this is before they're this is given to them before they go into the land, the promised land, right? right. Before they go into the land of Canaan, uh, and it's setting them up. God puts them in that land to be called out to look different. The ones that are called out, right, to look different to tell a story of who their God is to the rest of the world on this really important trade route. Right. So that completely makes sense, and that lines up with what Jesus is teaching us that we're supposed to be in the church today. Now, Makes sense. I like it. Now, Marty, he breaks down 
Leviticus this way. The first seven chapters is on atonement. Okay. Uh, the chapters that deal with the priesthood or the 10% that have the responsibility of the Levites, that have a responsibility to act as priests mm-hmm. within the temple structure system, is chapters 8 through 10 and 21 through 22. So there's five chapters out of 27 that deals with the priesthood. How to, okay. le- how to live as a kingdom of priests, that's chapters 11 through 20. That's the biggest portion. Hmm. And that, that really applies to everyone, and chapter 19 is the chapter that we first pulled from, which speaks to how to love your neighbor. And then chapters 23 and 24, Marty calls it how to party, but how to celebrate your God. God. Mm-hmm. And then how to Karen, party is an appropriate name. I, it's, yeah. It, it describes it well. And then caring for the oppressed is chapters 25, 26, and 27. Hmm. And so when you hear how that's broken down and what kind of topics are being covered, yes, the priests play you know, a significant part in this. Mm-hmm. But much of this actually applies to us as well as, as people, as followers of God. Sure. So, yeah, Leviticus is Leviticus, but... It's more than just Leviticus. It's more. It's way more. We don't give it the credit it's due. It's not just a bunch of rules. And, you know, and and just understanding the author's original intent, I think, kind of drives the conversation a little differently. Like, if you think you're going to listen to 27 chapters on how to... Wear ephods and you know, mm-hmm. ephah. That word. That word. If you're gonna, if you Aoife. think, you know, if I'm sitting in school, it's it's class, and I'm finding out that the next twenty seven chapters are are dealing with the people that I'm not gonna be a part of. I may I'm not tu- really I may tune pay out. attention. Sure. Yeah. And maybe I've you know, and so actually when I few years back, we wrote Torah as a exercise. We wrote out the first five books of the Bible. We could either handwrite it, or we could type it. And uh, I found it much more readable when I typed it. <laughs> uh, but I there was so much that I learned about each book of the Bible, and in particular numbers. Hmm. I didn't realize there were so many stories within the book of numbers. Mm-hmm. Always, it's all just numbers, right? It's just numbers. Yeah. It's a lot of sheep. <laughs> it's a lot of sheep. Well, and then you count them, and then you fall asleep. That's what I expected. That's the book of numbers. That's a joke. That's not actually the book of numbers. Don't listen to that. It's terrible advice. No. Flee. Flee from that. <laughs> but but sheep. <laughs> this is not New Zealand. We don't love sheep that much. A joke. That's another bad joke. All of my jokes are bad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to all the New Zealanders I just offended. Well, and in Leviticus, we also learn about the Kingsman re- Redeemer system. Um, oh, that's that a good stuff, point. Which is uh, important for Ruth and important for uh, just a lot of the context. Yeah, there's portions, you know, there's verses I still read on, on a regular basis out of Leviticus. 
that that shaped my thinking on on a lot of different things. So, good stuff. Cool. Well, speaking of Ruth and uh, Moabites, that was a terrible segue. We hadn't even mentioned Moab, I don't think. Uh, Spoiler alert: Ruth is a Moabitess. There you Ruth go. is a Moabitess. That's well, and that's that's part of why it's so probably why uh, the how I forget the guy. I don't remember his name. The guy that was first in line to be kinsman redeemer. Um, oh, what's his face? Yeah. Oh, what's his face that uh, Boaz goes to? Uh, not important. He he didn't he didn't do what he was supposed to do, so he's not important. We're gonna forget about him. Uh, but that's probably why he wasn't stoked to be kinsman redeemer. So, I w- I looked it up nope. and Boaz, you know, sits down all the elders to kind of be his witnesses, and he goes to the kinsman redeemer. He's like, okay, I'm gonna sit you down. Explains, sure. you know, see what you think. And so he originally says, so this is um, Ruth 4, starting at 3. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that re- belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. And he says, I will redeem it. And then Boaz says, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, uh, verse 6, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. So he flat out, like... Absolutely like, wait, said whoa, no. whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on. Okay, so property transaction? No, I'm down. That sounds cool. Mm. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a Moabite involved? Nope. I'm out. Yeah. Okay, so why is that such a drastic turnabout for this Abimelech? Was that? You know, I don't. I it's it was, not. I don't think it names him. No, I don't think it does. No. Okay. Elimelech is. Elimelech. The. the he's the dead. Yeah. He's the dead father. That's the dead yeah, father. Yeah, he's the okay. dead father. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it doesn't, it doesn't, so he didn't do what he was supposed to do. He just got forgotten by history. He's just that guy. Yep, he's that guy. <laughs> Old what's his butt. No, All right. Let's just not name him. It's nicer that way. <laughs> nice. Okay. I'm going to call him Tom. His Tom. name's now Tom. Tom, it is. So why did Tom flop on this? Like, why was Tom like, nope, peace, I'm out. Why is that such a drastic turnaround? Well, you could I've... technically take from what he says that he just doesn't want to feed two more people, but. <laughs> yeah. So that I... is. Mm. <laughs> mm. Be, that's being generous. That. That's, that being... Is, mm. <laughs> that's some sacrificial generosity right there. <laughs> <laughs> I had, but I there's had, more to it. Yeah, so. I had two thoughts about it. Um, the first one that jumped into mind is we see in Deuteronomy, and I looked this up too. Pardon me. Oh man. More, we're jumping all over the place here. I love it. <laughs> Deuteronomy 23.3. Um, no Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in a tenth generation. Yep. So I kind of looked up what that assembly means. And basically from a variety of forums that seem to have a lot of Jewish rabbis with very opinionated <laughs> statements. Um, <laughs> not touching that. Continue. <laughs> That's about normal. <laughs> it seems like the general idea is the assembly was not just like a Jewish person. It was like a full citizen of 
the Jewish people who has like, they can go and they speak in the temple, you know, they're voting, they're sitting at the city gates talking, doing official things. Okay. Mm. So that kind of puts whoever marries her, even though she technically is a convert Mm -hmm. in, in the whole scheme of things, even then, like it specifically spells it out down below or no, I'm sorry. That was in the form. Like the implication is that even if they convert, they're still not allowed to be like a, a full citizen quote air quotes. You've still got this stigma attached to you for 10 generations. Yeah. Yeah. And so that kind of puts pressure on whoever's marrying her, which Tom references. Yeah. The, our, our, our boy, Tom, references that and he says whoa oh well then i can't risk my own family yeah by i can't put my own family at risk there we couldn't go into the temple if i take her on like we would be unclean for 10 generations yeah well and we have also seen people be not like with the judah and tamar story uh dudes not wanting to continue another guy's line Mm -hmm. yes um so it it also kind of could have been that or it could have been just both really like i don't want a kid that isn't going to be a member of the community uh, and isn't really going to be mine anyways. Yeah. Um, isn't going to represent me or anything. Because um. if I remember what happens with the Kinsman Redeemer correctly, if Ruth had married this a, a Tom. 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 If she I had... feel sorry for all the Toms out there listening right now. <laughs> Fitzgerald, I'm looking at you. Why did they pick my name? <laughs> Blame Logan. It's, um, it's all my fault. If she had <laughs> married Le Monsieur Tom <laughs> and then had a child, yep. I think the way it works is that that child would have then re-inherited all the land that Tom would have gotten. Yeah. But mm-hmm. if he just was in charge of Naomi, who is not going to have any more children, it's just like, oh, I get more land. Sure. What a deal. I think that's how it works. That seems Basically. like a fair read of it. Well, yeah, because Boaz, we know in particular, didn't have, he was not married up to this point, and so he had no children. Mm-hmm. And so all of, all everything that for Boaz moves over to this to this line, and it all becomes under one. And, one unified line. And it's under yeah. Elimelech, and, and whether Tom had children or not, you know, if if, if he has a behord that can take on his inheritance, mm-hmm. you know, versus Elimelech's inheritance, but something happens to his sons, then yes, then become, yeah, it becomes really muddied. And so the, the cool thing here now, 10, ten generations. And guess who's Ruth, who Ruth's grandson was. Like Jesus uh, himself. I'm going with David, David. Yeah, not Jesus. Oh. It was David. Oops. One more generation. One more generation. It, but Jesus was in the well, more than one <laughs> generation. A lot more, more than one. Anyway, Obed. Obed. The son <laughs> was Obed. <laughs> Shoot. No, no. Yeah. It was. It was. It was the right idea, though. So Jesus is in the line of David, yes. and we know we track this back, right? And David is in the line of like his grandmother is Ruth. You're right. This was not 10 generations. Oh, no. So David himself should not have been able to go into the temple. Or be king. Or be king. 
which is where oh what were we we were talking about this not that long ago for something because we were talking about the david exception oh what was that were we talking about that rob yes yeah we've talked we've talked about this before uh and i and i honestly think that there's two reasons why david uh david shouldn't david was a i i believe david was also a mumser which means mm-hmm. that David was born out of wedlock. Ooh, and Deuteronomy says that's literally a no-no. right under that, too. Yeah, that's yeah. also not a member of the yeah. assembly. Like, you're a no-no. Double no-no. So, uh, if you're listening to footnotes, just know that this might come up on Sunday because <laughs> all, all this maybe applies to why diversity matters. Oh, that's right. Now I remember where we were talking about that. <laughs> uh, but it's still it's still good, and it applies here. Like, there's this exception that they create for David, but David was not supposed to be in the temple because, or king, because he was the grandson of a Moabite. Mm-hmm. And even Solomon built the temple. Yeah, Solomon shouldn't have been either. <laughs> like, like, he built the temple. For crying well, out loud. <laughs> oh, but we'll, we'll make an exception for him. It's fine. There's a there's an exception. Well, go and, look that up. And it's want. it's interesting because like, uh, we and we've talked about the yoke that Jesus gave. We talked about the the two greatest commandments, mm-hmm. right? Uh, love God, love your neighbor. And that was the whole reason why, um, the Jews had to go. Okay, what are the two greatest? Because we need to figure out. We've got all these laws. Which ones are the most important? Got to rank them. The the <laughs> uh, high order of need. Like which one is most most importantest? Like one of the questions was, uh, if your neighbor's donkey falls into a ditch on Sabbath, do you get the donkey out of the ditch? Um, but then you go into a situation like this where they blatantly ignored uh, this command God gave, right? Like you're not allowed to let these people into the assembly of God. Yep. But they do it anyways, and it's a good thing. Like we get, we get <laughs> King David... You know, and we, his entire we, line, which we, leads to Jesus. We get the temple. We get sure. There's all sorts of bad things, but that's not because, like, the the bad things of the kings have nothing to do with the fact that they're descended from Moabites too early than they mm-hmm. should have been. Um, and is it because love your neighbor as yourself? Is it because take care of the alien orphan and the widow? Is it because I just gotta say, Boaz, you are the man. I am looking at a verse right now. This is so yummy, and I'm gonna save it for Sunday. Oh, <laughs> God bless you all! Dang, damn it! God bless you all. This wow is so. This is juicier than the steak that I made this last weekend. You saw it on Facebook. I did. I yeah. I saw the picture of that that was. Oh, that was a steak. Mm. That was so good. Yeah, this is Boaz. It's right there, huh? Oh, Boaz, you rock, dude. You <laughs> Just know lined your, it up. Just lined it right your, up. You know your scriptures, and <laughs> dude, you just absolutely rock. This is, yeah. There you go. Uh, stay tuned. So there's a <laughs> teaser for that one. Wow. That's fun. All right. It's so tempting to just lean over and peek. <laughs> <laughs> 
Just go read the whole uh, book of Ruth and try to find I've, which I've verse. Got a, I've got a hint for you. It's in the book of Ruth. <laughs> nope. No? Nope. Oh, oh, oh. All right. Uh, let's hear what. It's Leviticus. Is it Leviticus? Oh. Nope. Oh, really? Deuteronomy. Okay, hint, it's in the Bible. Oh. <laughs> hint, it's in the Bible. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. There's your teaser for upcoming Sunday Sunday shenanigree. Yeah. Uh, any other closing thoughts from anybody? You know, the only last thing is um, Leviticus 23, the difference between Leviticus 19 and 23 is Leviticus 19 talks about uh, reaping the grapes. Oh, okay. It's not reaping. I'm not sure what the term is for grapes. Harvesting. Harvesting, harvesting the grapes. So Leviticus 19 talks about both uh, your fields and the grapes. Okay. So dealing with grains. This is the leaving the the corners? Right. Okay, yeah. But Leviticus 23 doesn't include the grapes. I, I don't know if drink offerings, how often drink offerings are part of each of the different festivals, but mm-hmm. I know the meal offering is involved in all six of the festivals. And so the author, I think, wants it to be very clear that this is about letting people, creating space for people to be able to come in and worship God with you. You know, mm-hmm. for today, that could be us choosing to pick someone up so they can make it to church. Sure. Uh, there's a gal that I baptized in Coeur d'Alene, and I called her. She she had reached out to me, and so I called her, and I was super frustrated to find out that what the church, after, after I left, what the church said is, yeah, we picking you up is just too hard. Mm. I'm like, Really? Nope. It's too hard. No. Like there's nobody. Um, and these are people I love. I mean, these are people I still respect. I I don't know the whole story. Sure. You know. Um. And uh, challenging circumstances, anyway. But what are, are we? That's where sacrificial generosity is a sacrifice to pick someone up every week. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just one side of the story, but, but at any rate, I just, I found it interesting that these two, you know, like I said, Sunday, that these two chapters are connected and there are four chapters away and they're in the same book. Yeah. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think you're, I think you're definitely right on that. It, it does facilitate like loving your neighbor means creating places for them to come into contact with God. Um, that's definitely a way that we can we can love our neighbors here in Missoula. Yeah. So cool. Good yeah. stuff. All right. Well, uh if you got any thoughts or comments or questions or outrages at Rob's Heresies, uh you can email us at info at missionridge.church. Uh if you got any other complaints, you can direct them to Gus at liferotp.com. Uh it's been a while since I've done that, so we'll do that there. Uh <laughs> Poor in Tom. the meantime. Huh? Poor Tom. Poor Tom. Uh, poor Tom. We apologize to all the Toms, except for Tom Fitzgerald, just because I missed that guy. All right. I'll talk to you guys all later. Have a good week. Peace. Bye. Bye. 
You've been listening to Footnotes on the Mission Ridge podcast. For more information about Mission Ridge, please visit our website at missionridge.church. Thanks for tuning in. We hope the rest of your week is straight up hashtag blessed and that you'll join us again next week for more footnotes.